Riga Conference podcast brought to you by Latvian Transatlantic Organization. Hello, uh, we are here with Owen Maktamara, who is a junior research fellow at the University of Tartu and is a visiting research fellow at the Finnish Institute of International Affairs. Owen, thank you for taking the time to uh, do an interview for the Riga Conference 2021. Um, I think that uh, on the topic of burden sharing, I know no better expert, especially personally, than you. So I've got three questions, and we have 20 minutes. So the first question I'm going to ask is, how, how has burden sharing evolved in the Alliance? Well, first of all, thank you, Louis. Uh, it's great to be here. It's great to be here in Riga. It's great to be here at the Riga conference. Uh, burden sharing is something... Um, something um, incredibly important for, for NATO. Um, why is it important? It is what makes NATO tick. It's the, it's the, it's the distribution of, of risks and of costs uh, towards achieving a common goal. And that's what NATO is all about, collective action. Uh, how, has, um, how has NATO, how, how has this evolved within NATO? If we go back into the literature, we find The Economist and his, his, his economic theory of alliances. Uh, Monker Olson writing with Richard Zeckhauser, uh, a Harvard research team from the 1960s. Uh, and they were very much uh, their, their theory of public goods, their theory of, of their logic of collective action was very much about defense spending. Um, very much about defense spending and who was paying the 2% and who was free riding and how defense spending then contributed to, to capabilities that produced deterrence and collective defense during the Cold War era. During the Cold War era. And uh, that was the logic. Defense spending buys you, strong defense spending would buy you the capabilities to, to have forces for deterrence, to have forces for collective defense and collective action was, was, was refined in this way. After the Cold War, uh, burden sharing changed. J during the Cold War, of course, it was about the, the input side, the, the finance that, that serviced the costs of, of, of deterrence and collective defense. Uh, after the Cold War, as Jens Ringsmöse uh, has written a number of, of excellent articles on, on NATO burden sharing, has, has, has pointed out that it became much more about the output side of, of defence. We moved from deterrence and collective defence in, in, in Europe, NATO moved to, to global NATO, uh, an expeditionary era uh, set in first in the Balkans, later with the International Security Assistance Force in Afghanistan, and it became much more about uh, risk sharing. Uh, so putting your, your troops in the ground, uh, putting them into combat, uh, in, uh, in Afghanistan against the Taliban in southern Afghanistan to, um, to, 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 to try and stabilize Afghanistan. That mission, which has unfortunately, uh, come a cropper in, in, in recent months, um, particularly, it's, some would say it's been a cropper for, for, for longer than that, that hinged on the south of Afghanistan and the combat operations there. 
The United States led them with the United Kingdom, with Denmark and, and with Estonia, with the Netherlands, with Canada for a while. Th those were the countries that, that took the biggest risks paying with, with, with soldier fatalities. And there was a lot of controversy within NATO as other allies, uh, Germany, um, some of the other uh, northern European states preferred to put their troops uh, in the north. Some NATO forces put caveats uh, uh, restricting uh, combat exposure on their troops. That complicated, ISAF was already very complicated for security planners. That made things incredibly complicated. Uh, you know, in terms of the distribution of, of what troops could do where and when. It added, it added extra complications. And these were self-imposed complications. So risk sharing, incredibly tricky. Expeditionary security provision, incredibly complicated. And it was a task, as we, we heard Sten Rooning uh, during the Riga conference uh, point out, uh, it was a task that in the end NATO came up short, an ambitious task where NATO came up short. Now, uh, burden sharing has now, as we, as we depart Afghanistan, uh, burden sharing has now moved back to, to the output side, back towards uh, defense spending and back towards the shock of of Donald Trump uh, and you know he had he very much looked at NATO burden sharing through the defense spending lens uh, and he said the Europeans have to do more and Trump kept NATO Europe on on tender hooks he promised or not promised you know there was leaks that he was even thinking of, of withdrawing uh, the United States from NATO this caused a lot of concern in Europe and we've seen defense spending in Europe uh, begin to rise again. Um, but, uh, but we've seen this before when, when the United States, as I discussed at the Riga conference during the 1960s when President uh, John Fitzgerald Kennedy and his uh, defense secretary Robert McNamara introduced flexible response to keep, you know, mostly to deter Russia when we move from massive retaliation to, to flexible response. Um, McNamara uh, and Kennedy uh, also, that created the side effect of European allies didn't know how exactly the US, United States would respond with strategic, tactical, nuclear weapons, uh, deterrence with conventional forces, etc. It kept them a little bit on tender hooks. They were worried, so they invested more in their own defense. During the 1960s into the 1970s, uh, but what did we see after that into the 80s? European defense spending uh, declined. So just as a last point, will this kind of Trump, this, this uncertainty created by Trump leading into the Biden era, will this, will European defense spending be maintained closer to that 2% across the alliance? I think this is a critical question for NATO. Well, that's, uh, that leads me to my second critical question. I mean, you mentioned Afghanistan, you mentioned Trump, uh, and then very recently you closed with Biden. What can you tell us about what prospects uh, we can expect uh, for NATO burden sharing in the Biden administration? Yes, so Joe Biden, as, as you know very well, being, being from that part of the world yourself, Joe Biden declared during the election campaign last year, and indeed... Um, and indeed, uh, after, after he, he won in that spectacular victory against John, Donald Trump, that America is back. 
America is back. And, and the Europeans would, uh, would like America to be back. Um, and uh, I think American power in Europe is, is I'm one of the ones who think it's, it's very, very welcome. I'm a big fan of, of the transatlantic link. Um, and, and Europeans, um, Europeans and Americans working together, uh, institutionalized mostly through NATO, but also through, uh, US EU relations can be a real force for good, uh, in the world and, and upholding, a, a, a world order that is as, as stable and, and as prosperous as possible. Uh, nevertheless, is America really back and are, European allies helping America, so to say, to, to, to make its way back, so to say. Um, I think the Biden administration, being a democratic administration, in terms of the Democratic Party, but also Biden's commitment over a 30, 40 year political career, uh, has been a liberal democracy, expanding democracy in Europe. And what we're seeing a little bit uh, in Europe is, is, is question marks over some NATO allies. Hungary under Viktor Orban, Poland, uh, under law and justice, Turkey, uh, under, under, under Erdogan. Um, we've seen some criticism, uh, from, from the Biden administration. The Biden administration, um, is uh, is talking about having a democracy summit, trying to trying to renew democracy uh, in the Western world and beyond. Uh, so these concerns have also imbued a bit of skepticism. I think the Americans see now that they're onto a good thing with NATO burden sharing. That they've seen they've given Trump has given the Europeans a bit of a shock. Trump's not very popular in the Biden administration or with the Democratic Party, but to kind of feed a little bit off that legacy to support the Europeans so that they can do more uh, towards a more equitable uh, burden-sharing relationship. Um, that I think some in the Democratic Party, if they're being honest, uh, would say that that's no harm at all. So the prospects for NATO burden-sharing, as long as the Europeans do not take their eye off the ball, as we might say in, in, in Ireland, they maintain uh, defence investments. And of course, it's not just about defense investments, uh, uh, it is also about the three C's, cash, capabilities, and, and commitment, as we, heard, uh, as we heard at the Riga conference. So cash, defense investment, capabilities that can, um, that can contribute to NATO's collective goals, military capabilities primarily, um, although not always, and, and commitments that, that allies are committed to NATO collectively, collective security, and, and they're not just um, spending on their own specific national defense uh, needs, that they reach a balance. So, so always the three C's that I mentioned, uh, very, very important, uh, not just defense investment, although without cash, you know, I, I remember when I was going to school uh, in, in Ireland, my bus driver for for, for schoolboys who didn't, uh, who, who spent their bus money home on other things. My bus driver had a great phrase, you know, no mon, no fun. So, uh, you know, no cash, uh, no play. So defense investment should always be at the core, but burden sharing is, of course, it's about risks, uh, it's about capabilities, and it's also about commitments. And, and we shouldn't forget that as well. It's, it's, it's a diverse field. Um, 
How can burden sharing be improved uh, specifically to uh, serve uh, mobilization for the enhanced forward presence, which is important in this region? Yeah. Uh, so um, NATO deterrence, the enhanced forward presence, relies on mobilization. Should the security, situ the security situation has stabilized, the enhanced forward presence has worked. The Russians have over, we've heard, Andres Rach speak at the Riga conference about this. The Russians have overstretched themselves uh, a bit in Ukraine, in Syria, uh, in, in, in the North Caucasus as well. Uh, we see extremism and, and, and Russian military units having to respond to that. So they have a lot of things uh, on at the moment. Uh, they are overstretched. But the enhanced forward presence has has brought stability, has brought deterrence. But should we get any more unpredictability and troops need to be moved into the region and to kind of strengthen the deterrence effect, troops need to be fluently moved 40, 30, 40, 50,000 from uh, west to east. Uh, when I was the Think Visegrad Fellow at the Institute of International Relations in Prague in 2019, I wrote a policy paper about this, which you can download online, some uh, shameless advertising there, uh, Lewis, um, about, about this uh, mobilization gap and how to, how to fix it. So we need this, this fluency. Lieutenant General Ben Hodges has discussed this, uh, a great expert, has discussed this uh, from, from a practical point of view, you know, Civilian infrastructure that can, that can facilitate military requirements if required. So bridges, railways, roads that can, that can accept military tonnage. Um, uh, supply chains, uh, there's two supply chains serving, serving the enhanced forward presence. One is amphibious over land through Europe. One goes through the Baltic Sea uh, as well as through connecting with land. Um, Serving these supply chains, making sure that these supply chains are are working, having situational awareness about these supply chains, all of this is crucial. And all of this, again, requires investment. And this is where the EU is very important, because the EU, as well as, as, well as individual allies and member states themselves, but the EU is a big funder of joint infrastructural projects, not, not problems, projects. Um, and this is where the EU role in, in, in investing in, in, in this infrastructure that can primarily suit civilian needs but can be used to facilitate uh, mobilization fluency as I call it if required is, is crucial so um, in a way that's, that's a quiet way um, and maybe um, uh, an unexpected way or an unconventional way that uh, EU financing can boost NATO capabilities, and also EU capabilities, because the EU is a, is a, is a security actor um, as well. There's al it's also not just about you know heavy metal of of, of the tanks uh, and, and military equipment moving on, and the heavy concrete uh, and tarmac that they that they push over. It's also political. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, we had Operation Dragoon Ride, and there were concerns when we had Dragoon Ride in, in 2015, uh, that uh, with Russian information operations and, and propaganda working, that, you know, the site of, of military vehicles, military convoys that had to be moved from, from Germany, U.S. bases in Germany, through the Czech Republic into Poland uh, and into the Baltic states, uh, that in the Czech Republic specifically, um, 
that that these that these vehicles uh, would be booed or would they they would get a hostile reception and this would be politically uh, unsatisfactory for the Czech government. Uh, that was a worst case scenario that was envisioned. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. And this was actually Operation Dragoon Ride was very, very successful, and the Czechs approved of it. Uh, and this, this strengthened NATO uh, politically, uh, and it makes, uh, I suppose, governments less squeamish about doing such operations, again, more comfortable, because these operations are new. We're only five, six, seven years after the major crisis in, in, in Crimea. Governments are still adjusting to this. So... That is, uh, that is very important politically as well. There is some political risks. Germany and Poland, their relations are crucial at a military-to-military -military level, at a political level, and a diplomatic level, because most of the supply chains that will serve the enhanced forward presence and could serve enhanced military mobilization to deter, if required, flow through Poland and Germany. So maintaining these supply chains, agreeing on these supply chains, uh, having the situational awareness institutionally around these supply chains uh, is crucial as our NATO burden sharing now looks at the enhanced forward presence and how to share the costs, the risks and the roles uh, to maintain, to maintain um, this, uh, this presence. That's, so that's, in my view, when we look at European security, uh, servicing NATO's uh, mobilization needs, that that is something that's going to dominate uh, NATO burden sharing uh, as we move forward into the future. Owen McNamara.